and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard, I will be your host. And today is a quick start on the kickstart. And a quick start on the kickstart is quite simple. What we do is we speak to somebody who's in the middle of their campaign and we find out a little bit about the campaign, we find out a little bit about themselves and then we find out... Tell them in your own their own words why they think you should consider chucking them a buck or even a little bit more, because joining me is uh, it's Greg Loring Albright, and I'm being very careful to make sure I pronounce his name because it doesn't help to be rude to somebody that you're speaking to. You did for great. the first or second time. Thank you, Greg. Greg is from Pasco Games, um, and he's here to talk about um, Leviathan. That's so, right. So thank you very much for joining us today, Greg. I hope you're well. Absolutely. You, you are in, you're on the other side of the country, aren't you? You're in, um, is it California area? So, so Jeff, the publisher of yeah. owner at Pasco Games, lives in California, but I actually live in Philadelphia. Oh. Well, that's... Um, that's so, you know, a little closer to you. It's a bit more of a bus. It's a bit more of a bus trip. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Excellent. Um, so uh, we're just gonna let's jump in and we'll have a little look at the campaign because the Kickstarter itself, um, it's been going over. Is it almost a couple of weeks? That's it's been right. Going yep. Now? yep. It's um, been on for just over two weeks, and we've got just under two weeks left. Okay, uh, I'm just checking where we are in terms of the campaign, and you've got a goal of eleven thousand dollars, and you're currently sitting just below five thousand right. dollars. So, um, as I say, it's a quick start on the kickstart, so it's just a chance to kind of find out a little bit more about your about your good self, find out a little bit more about the project, sure. and then we can take it from there. Um, one of the things we like to do at We're Not Wizards is we like to find out a little bit about somebody's history in relation to the hobby. Um, so you want to maybe touch on quickly a little bit about how you kind of got involved in the old cardboard, I guess the cardboard seascape yeah, as opposed absolutely. to the landscape. Absolutely. So I started, uh, I learned uh, Settlers and Ticket to Ride from friends who worked with me at a summer camp. Uh, which seems a little bit counterintuitive because we're there climbing rocks and doing outdoorsy things. But when it rains, you got to have something to do. So they taught us, you know, these modern classic board games and things just sort of went from there as I realized quickly that there's more than just those two games. Uh, so, you know, I played a lot of games. One thing led to another. I decided to start making some games. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I made I made Leviathan, this Moby Dick-inspired nautical tabletop card combat game and Jeff picked it up. Alright, okay. Um, have you been have you been kind of putting games together for some time though or has this been something that's all you've always kind of done? Are yeah, you, yeah. Are you type of, yeah, type so, of person um, to take Catan and kind of play around with it and see if you can make it kind of slightly better? Absolutely. In fact, I have, uh, I published a piece on uh, the Journal of Analog Game Studies with uh, rules to help Catan address uh, the sort of U.S. indigenous genocide, you show up on the, the land and instead of it being empty, uh, yeah. another player can play the, the native peoples of Catan. And so I wrote this whole piece about, you know, engaging with history via games and 
the game, the rule set didn't. I didn't get to play test it as much as I wanted to. So there's some balance issues, but it's fun and it's uh, it's a conversation starter for sure. So yes, I've I've been sort of <laughs> noodling around with games and trying to get them to say new things for a while now. I'd like to point out I had no prior knowledge that Greg had done this on Katana. That's true. That was I a merely, perfect feeder I merely, question. I really pulled this game out of the potentially several hundred thousand board games that they are and just plucked it from the sky and placed it down there kind of in, in front of them. I mean, do you um I mean is that what you're studying at is that relation to your your studies and stuff like that that you're doing then? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so I'm a graduate student and I'm I'm pretty early in my program, so exactly what mm-hmm. my focus is uh remains to be determined, but I really enjoy uh media studies and fan studies and I think board games, tabletop role-playing games, real-world games are sort of under uh, underanalyzed and undervalued in that community that has so much love for TV and movies and video games. All right, so you're going to look at them from a, a kind of, a, I guess, kind of different board games, how they're kind of relating to what's happening in current society and things like that, or yeah, kind of sure. social lessons that can be learned from it and things like that. Exactly, yeah. They're a, games are super expressive medium that uh-huh. you know you can just say so many things by putting somebody in front of some cardboard and saying now you have this problem to solve and what are you going to do and okay yeah it's it's great it's a lot of fun i see when you're kicking back and you're playing a game then do you end up kind of thinking at the back of your mind is there a paper in this is there a little study i can be doing like that oh i try not to i try to keep i try to keep work and games separate and it's hard because i you know i design games and i'm studying games and i'm playing games and so yeah keeping keeping those walls up is hard but but i think important uh Mm. then later when i'm i try and do it the reverse way i play the games and try not to think too much and have a good time and then if I need to write something, I'll think, "Oh, I did. I did just play that game. Maybe there's a." And then, then I'll go back to it. Are you constantly kind of putting together kind of ideas and stuff like that that you can then work towards kind of producing a kind of a bigger kind of study document and stuff? Yes. Like that? Yep. Exactly. So I'm at the beginning. I'm in the first year of what will probably be a six or seven year PhD program. So I'm always. All right. It's, it's a long. It's a long way away. It's hard to conceive of what anything in the world will be like seven years from now. But I'm yeah. trying to, to be a diligent student, and when I have an idea, not just be like, oh, I'll, I'll wait until I have an assignment for that class, but actually write it down and store it somewhere so that when it comes time to write a more lengthy document, I can say, oh, I've, I've, been, I've been ready, I've been preparing. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> You're kind of storing it up like a game designer with, yeah. like, post-it notes and... Exactly, exactly. I've got those two files that get opened about just as equally of this could be a good game, this could be a good Uh, dissertation topic. Right. I mean, are there games, are there games that you've seen, that you've played which you could write kind of volumes about that maybe aren't the biggest kind of popular ones, but the ones you've kind of went, wow, I could really go to town on this. There are so many. Um, and I mean, part of what, what interests me about games is that I feel like almost any game has the potential for that kind of analysis. Mm-hmm. But the things that are really uh, attractive to me right now, I've been playing a lot of Block by Block, which was a Kickstarter project, I think about two years ago, from some mm-hmm. people who uh, their their publishing name was Out of Order Games. It's the only game they've made. It was one of these great you know one-off. They had an idea, they put together a company, and they did it. 
and it's a game about uh, like an Occupy Wall Street style uprising taking over a city, and you can play it mm. as a full co-op or as a partial co-op where you're, you know, I'm the students and you're the workers, and you want the city to look a certain way, and I want the city to look a different way, but we all first have to occupy the plaza and hold the barricades against the police who are trying to chase us off, and so we have to work together and we have to have our own goals and. Yeah, I could I could write a book on that game. It's it's so much fun and so provocative. You know, it's a co-op game where the bad guys, the units that are showing up on the board that cause trouble for you are the police. And so it's just immediately, you know, that's a, a huge flashpoint for people to start talking about these issues that are really relevant in contemporary society. Are there games that you have managed to switch off from and just enjoy? Is there anything that you're kind of playing at the moment which you're playing for playing sake? Um, I just played for the first and second time immediately. It was so good, I just had to go right and play it again. Uh, Middle Earth Quest, which is a right. design from FFG and Corey Connies, who I'm going to butcher his last name. Sorry, Corey. Um, but he's one of the, the minds behind Twilight Imperium and these sort uh-huh. of massive, sprawling FFG games. Uh, so this one's a Lord of the Rings universe where instead of playing one of the major characters in the book, you're playing a sort of no-name person in the universe, and you go around. Mm. And so you might run into Gandalf and Legolas, but you're not being them. And it's a, all right, okay. it's, a, it's an all-versus-one. So one player is Sauron and sends these minions all over the map, and the other players are sort of trying to ascertain what Sauron is up to, and they flip over these tokens, and maybe it's a monster, or maybe it's a plot to find the ring that they can then interfere with and takes like five hours and it's great it's super immersive and it's hard to think about anything else when you're doing it because yeah it's wonderful i i mean what kind of game are you are you kind of like are you into kind of like your really heavy games are you a guy that would sit down with them um, you know like a copy of eclipse or star wars rebellion oh i love rebellion you... my yeah yeah i i i don't have a strong preference to those games i think a lot of games i mean i'm kickstarting an 18 card micro game so you know that's sort yeah. of the, the pure opposite end of the spectrum um i do i do love that those big games can sort of force you into this headspace that i was just talking about where like you can't think about anything else like there's no room to put your phone on the table and glance at it like you know rebellion mm. war of the ring uh middle earth quest they're just going to take up all the space sort of mentally and physically yeah and and i do love that but you can only get those games to the table so often. So I like I like playing other kinds of games as well. Um, is there anything kind of else that you're? Well, are there anything you're looking forward to? Anything you've kind of got an eye on? That oh, that's think, a good oh. question. Um, I'm looking forward to playing Pandemic Legacy season two. My <laughs> friends and I had a great time getting through season one, uh, and I'll I'll brag a little bit and say that we did a really good job, and we left the world a better place. Um, but now season two apparently in the intervening 71 years other people have ruined it so even though we did really well in season one season two is starting from a pretty bleak situation (laughs) so all your hard work's just for nothing that's right (laughs) (laughs) you get a setback and say we might have well lost like three or four months there it wouldn't be the slightest bit of difference that's right (laughs) all that stress (laughs) all that all that stress all that kind of planning um (laughs) The world's just I mean, going to be a terrible post-apocalyptic wasteland <laughs> in 70 years anyway, so... <laughs> might as well, you know, well, well, might as well, you know, <laughs> smoke them if you got them. That's right. Basically. <laughs> did, um, 
when you're playing something like say Pandemic Legacy, do you have kind of both hats on? Are you trying to work out the mechanics? Are you try to figure out the best way to do it, or were you kind of just getting involved, oh, embracing the game for what it was? Yeah, I can't, I can't not think about it, um, but I try not to. Uh, one of my my friend Tim, who I played season one with, uh, is a really really smart guy, and so he's you know he's working through the probabilities and the design challenges and sort of marveling at what a what an incredible work of design this game is and uh-huh. and he's able to run both channels of his mind at the same time and I'm not I don't have that headspace I have to say I'm the quarantine specialist I'm going to go to this city and do the more sort of play embodying thing um uh-huh. if I could do both at the same time I think I would okay okay so at the same time with you your mind working the way it does why have you gone down the line of putting together an 18 card micro game (laughs) why am I not speaking to Greg who's talking about his kickstarter campaign for his big box multi-strategy kind of territorial control (laughs) with hidden movement worker placement game oh man well knock on wood in the, in the future, you'll, we'll have that conversation. But um, no, yeah, I, I like. I think it came from sort of the the other side of my brain, the part that's that's interested in sort of the affordances of analog games as a medium, and just sort of loving playing really elegant games like chess and Love Letter, and trying to see how much you can do with the littlest amount of material possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that idea sort of whirled around in my head for a while. And that's what, you know, that process with some interventions and bumps along the way is what led to Leviathan being this sort of very components light, but hopefully really rich gameplay experience. Do you, have you seen a lot of games that you think maybe are slightly component heavy that you could trim off a lot of the fat? that Because I see... And I'm not going to name names, but there are games out there that have component after component after component, and you're thinking, I'm never ever going to use <laughs> 75% of what is in here, but it's nice to kind of have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'd see that as a problem as much. Like, like <laughs> Middle Earth Quest, this game that I just referenced, is like, it's like a coffin box. It's like two feet long and very deep and... Uh, it costs. I bought it used on BGG, and it cost more for the shipping than for the game itself. And yeah. and I kind of love that. Like it's it is it does feel sort of bloated, and there's more pieces than you know what to do with. But I feel like that's that's valuable, and that's part of the experience of just having this sort of pure maximal. Everything is here. We can do whatever we want. Um, so, so I'm so not. Like I'm not really. Yeah. Well, so I'm not. I'm not like against that. I just feel like you can do something different too. Like I can have the biggest game ever and the smallest game ever, and hopefully those are both really good games. But anyway, to come back around and answer your question of the game that I would cut something off of, um, I think it would be X Wing, which was a big inspiration for this game. It's a tabletop game with hmm. a movement card. Um, not because anything's wrong with X-Wing, but just because, well, the thing that's wrong with it is uh, basically uh, capitalism, that I need to keep buying the more parts of the game if I want to keep having the game experience. It's not capitalism, Greg, it's willpower. 
Oh, yes. I'm fe- oh, right. I'm feeling That's the, the problem. <laughs> fantasy flight of placing things in front of you and it's your lack of willpower <laughs> well that's keeping you from going ahead and buying it Don't, as a graduate student can. with limited income i've done a good job with my willpower but the opportunity just the fact that it exists i just i want it all to be on my table and it's not yet. yeah would you prefer it if um like you know see like netrunner yeah x like x-wing they just said right no more. This is it. We're going to finish. You can have your sets and that's it. Because X-Wing, the meta keeps on changing. So if you want to be up to speed with what's happening in the meta game, you have to buy the right. kind of the expansion packs and things like that. It would be great if they did. I don't... There, There's no incentive for them to do that financially anyway. So I don't know why they would. <laughs> but I'm, exactly. glad, I'm glad you brought up Netrunner because I played for the first time with a friend of mine, neither of us is competitive or interested in getting into sort of the competitive side of Netrunner, but uh, we had both heard it was a really great game, and so he bought a core set, and I said, you know, they're coming out with a new core set soon. He said, I don't care, we're going to play it. And so I played I played two games of Netrunner my whole life, and it was great. It, it blew my mind, but I, what I, I liked the... I, I, what I really liked about I started thinking about how can I make this uh, into... Essentially, something I was thinking about when I made this Leviathan, this Moby Dick game, was how can I make X-Wing affordable and small? And that mm. led to this sort of 18-card tabletop card combat micro game that uses space and overlap in the same ways that X-Wing does. Mm. And I was like, how can I do that for Netrunner? How can I make this game that's super asymmetrical and bluffing and you're trying to guess which card to run at and which card to flip over? And I was like, oh, I already did it. It's also Leviathan. <laughs> So I guess the the pitch, the one sentence pitch for Leviathan is you can pay $9 and get the best things about X-Wing and Netrunner in one game. That That is a strong claim. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying it's 100% that is a true. Strong, that is a strong, strong claim. That is a bold statement, sir. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to... I'm going to walk it back a little bit. I'm not trying to say that I've done no, it. I think you've, I'm not trying to say I've done it. I'm trying to say I'm trying. I think at the moment I'm looking down into a pit. You're standing there smiling with your shovel. <laughs> and I'm trying to tell you to stop digging. And you're just keeping on digging. Um, let's talk. <laughs> let's keep digging then. <laughs> it's okay. We can edit all these bits out. No way. No, no way. Never edit. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I never edit, so it's all fine. Great. Um Let's talk about let's talk about the reason that we're here. And as normal, we said, okay, let's do a quick half hour on the game. And then it turns out, nineteen minutes later, we're still talking nothing about the game. Which it's this great. Is, I'm into it. I like this conversation. This is why, <laughs> even though I dug myself this, into a hole early on, <laughs> this is why Jeffrey's like, I can't do this day. I can't do that day. I can't do this day. I can't do that day because he realised what was going to happen. Yes, yeah, he's he going to the show. He's going to hear the hole I dug myself into and be like, Greg, why didn't you let me do that one? <laughs> Um, for people who, yeah, let's talk about Leviathan. I mean, you've you know you've obviously you've you've laid your table. <laughs> you know, everybody is expecting a meal fit for a living card game. Um, <laughs> or is it collectible? I can never remember. I can't either. What's Le- what's Leviathan about? Explain to us what it's about. How you play it. You know, everything yeah, like that. Because sure. first of all, the artwork is stunning. Absolutely. Yeah. So my, the actual pitch 
for Leviathan is uh, this is a tabletop card combat micro game uh, inspired by and about Moby Dick. So one player is going to be Captain Ahab and the Pequod and some whale boats, and the other player is going to be Moby Dick and a bunch of whales. Uh, you're going to try and destroy each other, as you know Herman Melville set out for us in this great novel. So uh, the system is pretty simple. There's tabletop card movement, so you have an arc on your card. You swing a movement card that determines how far left or right you can go and how far forward you can go. When cards overlap, uh, you can declare a combat if you have the ability to. Sometimes you can run out of chances to combat in your turn, and then it doesn't usually go well for you. Uh, but the combat mm-hmm. system is totally deterministic. It's not dice-based. So every card has an attack and a defend value. When those values line up, the higher value wins. None of them tie, which is great. Um, and the real sort of twist to the game is that all the whale cards start face down. So the whalers, Captain Ahab, doesn't know which whale is which until he engages and starts overlapping boats right. and making attacks. Okay. And so, so the Moby Dick can sink is the only card that the whales have that can sink the ship, which is how they win. Uh-huh. Uh, and Moby Dick has the strongest attack value in the game. It can sink anything else on the table, but it has no defense. So the whales are playing this bluffing game of they want to get Moby Dick right into the thick of the action to smash boats and sink the ship. But if they uh-huh. do it at the wrong time, he's going to be harpooned to death because he has no defense. Just like that. that. Yep, yep, just like that. That's So that's Leviathan in a nutshell. There we go. Thanks very much for coming along, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) Well, bye, everyone. (laughs) But where do you come... I mean, mean, you say in the... Obviously, in the Kickstarter thing that you're a big fan of the book. Yeah, absolutely. What came first? Was it sitting down and... um, Was it sitting down and saying, okay, I need to make a game about one of my favourite books? Or was it a case of... Hey, let's play Netrunner on our next wing and improve on them. And then, <laughs> you're not going to let me. You're not going to let me live that one down. I'm just going to keep I, getting yeah, reminded about actually, this. Actually, it's going in the sh- going in the show notes, and the title <laughs> of the show is going to say, "Greg has invented a game that's better than Next Wing and Netrunner." I'm down. <laughs> I'm down for that clickbait. Let's get those views and let's, listens let's, on this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get <laughs> the, let's get those downloads. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, what came first, the, ch- the chicken or the no, the um, the theme, the, the whale, or, or, the, the, or the game? You know, no, the um, yeah. So uh, the game came first. I, as I said, I was I really wanted to work with a minimalist game. I wanted to make a very small component game. Mm-hmm. Um, and my initial, initially, my first thought was to make a war game that wasn't about war because I like contradictions and I like sort of exploring those those contrary things. Um, so I started thinking about animals and because animals don't, don't war. They, some animals fight, but it's not this like organized strategic thing that humans have. Uh, and one thing led to another and I ended up with, with whales and whalers, uh, the movie in the heart of the sea, uh, which was not great, which is based on the book in the heart of the sea, which was great was coming out at the time. And that story, uh, in the heart of the sea is a modern, sort of a historian talking about this great book called The Wreck of the Whale Ship Essex, which is mm-hmm. a contemporary 1840s or 50s narrative by a guy who survived his whale ship being sunk by a giant whale. And that narrative inspired Moby Dick, uh, inspired Herman Melville to write Moby Dick. So 
uh, anyway, that's a long way of saying I got to a place where I was thinking about whales because they were sort of in the pop culture at the time and because I love Moby Dick and it's never far from the front of my mind. And so you from there you went, what can I do with this? Yeah, I was. I, I wanted animals, and I wanted them to move around on the table. I really wanted to explore the table space. I had just played X-Wing for the first time, and I was like, this is mm. incredible, just like being freed from the constraints of the board or being freed from, um, you know, card games that you put a card on the table, but it's not spatially important where you put it, and I really wanted to invest in that that spatiality. So I wanted, I wanted things to move around. Um, and I, I honestly don't remember where the notion of the asymmetry came from, but... Once I had the whales moving around and the boats moving around, I said, well, of course, the whales are underwater. They have secrets, so then we can play with this hidden movement dynamic. And, you know, as I said, once I once I locked into that thing that, that I really love, which is Moby Dick and the sort of historical sailing vessels and the, the whaling industry. Well, I, I don't love the historical whaling industry, but I have a lot of experience knowing about it. Uh, you know, things just sort of start to fall into line as they do. Okay, okay, rolling it back, just as a quick aside, where is the kind of the nautical influences because normally a child's nautical influences would go as far as maybe Captain Nemo sure you know kind of thing I mean we're, we're you know you're mentioning a lot of things here I mean was that is the kind of the nautical side of things is that something that was in your family is it something that you just developed a kind of an interest and a passion for I mean yes. where, do, where does that come from so when I was in my uh, undergraduate studies, uh, instead of taking a semester abroad, as a lot of us here in the U.S. do, um, mm-hmm. I found out about this great program called the Williams Mystic Maritime Studies Program. Uh, if any of your listeners are college age, they should check it out. But basically, you go and live for a semester at this great uh, nautical maritime museum in Connecticut, mm-hmm. right on the East Coast. And they have... Uh, it's a, so it's a full program of study. You take courses, you apprentice. I apprenticed to the blacksmith, and you do offshore excursions. So we were sailing on ships a couple times during the semester. You did blacksmithing. Yeah. Um, and and this, this museum where I lived for a semester and where I was on the staff and where I blacksmithed um, has the last remaining wooden whale ship. Uh, it was It's the Charles W. Morgan. She was built right across the river from the uh-huh. Cushnet, which Melville sailed on when he was writing Moby Dick. Um, he could have conceivably looked at this boat with his own eyes, and it's there in the harbor. We got to hang out on it. I got to uh, acquisition the objects into the museum database that were aboard the ship. We spent the night on it one time. So I was I became really connected to this sort of era and this yeah. whole sort of scene. That's nonsense. That's, that's amazing. So from there, you've obviously continued that kind of interest and that kind of I mean this this is natural I mean this isn't somebody that sat there and said you know I've I'm a big fan of the work of J.R.R. Tolkien I've got to make myself a <laughs> game based around orcs I mean you I mean it was only this is fate Greg <laughs> yeah I, I mean I've already filled up my overstatement quota for the podcast so I won't I won't say <laughs> no, anything no, like that. that no 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 yeah it was destined from hundreds of years ago <laughs> <laughs> Um, In fact, you could almost say that then that boat was created. It was created for you. Oh my gosh! I, I have no part in this. Create, this is if that boat wasn't created, <laughs> then this card game would not exist. This clickbait is getting better and better. <laughs> Extrapolation. Young I man claims entire history of world leads up to his work. <laughs> Click through from the full story. <laughs> Number seven will make you cry.
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do this. You have to write a top ten that we can oh, put in the great. show notes. I'll, I will do it. It's... I will send it to you. We want ten. We want ten facts, and we want number seven to make us cry. Please, okay. Greg. If okay, you don't I'll mind. do my best. <laughs> <laughs> how long? I mean, how long's it? How long? How long's Leviathan take to play? Um, it's it's variable. My initial goal when I set out to make the design was fifteen minutes. Um, and 15 mm. minutes is, most most games take 15 minutes. Uh, but if the Ahab player is playing particularly cagely, it can go to double that. So it can go up to a half an hour, which fill, falls really nicely in that in that sort of filler game. Yeah. But, I mean, you were talking to me about playing, you know... <laughs> Star um, Wars Rebellion. Middle yeah, Earth exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Which they're not kind of, they're not bite-sized. I mean, they're full, full bank banquet type games I mean this seems to be almost completely to the opposite of the stuff that you kind of experience and enjoy was it did you have to discipline yourself in order to make the game kind of stay under a certain time scale did you find that kind of like a challenge to say well actually we could do this and we could go into the fifth round and we could bring in more powers constantly having to trim the game or did you have a was it pretty much set in your mind before you kind of decided on the final kind of design document no it was more it was more the latter i knew i wanted this game to be a sort of experiment in minimalism and to to be small and short and it actually in its current form it's there are cards there are ability cards with text on them which initially when i started i was like no none of that Mm. um they're great they make the game so much better and i'm glad they're there but i was hoping for this sort of like super refined elegant short game that that doesn't sprawl um so yeah that was that was one of my goals from the get-go i definitely have ideas for bigger games and when i they would come to me during this game i would intentionally set them somewhere else write them down Mm. and stop thinking about them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's your experience on kind of kickstarter was it kind of daunting kind of putting something on kickstarter that you'd created i mean you've obviously you're aware of the kind of the names that are out there. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. It's always it's always daunting putting something out there in the world, whether you know, sort of formally on Kickstarter or just informally when you put a game on the table with playtesters, because you're asking someone to to value something and judge something that you've made, uh, which is hard and doesn't get easier the more you do it. Um, but I was really happy for Jeff to come on board and pick up the game, publish it through Past Go. Uh, I have mm-hmm. I have attempted to run a Kickstarter on my own, and what I learned from that experience for a different game, not for Leviathan, and what I learned from that experience was that I don't want to be a game publisher. It's so much work, and you have to make spreadsheets about international shipping, and yeah. man, props to the people who do that. Shout out to Jeff at Pasco, because without publishers, I would not get any of my work out there, because I don't care. <laughs> You don't want to know what, how much it costs to send somewhere something to to Wales or. Oh, I had to. I was like running that. this this campaign for this other game, and so it was so much work. I'm I'm in awe of the people who publish games as their day job because you you want to think about games, and you have to think about yeah shipping things to Wales instead. You have to think about um, logistics, right? You have to think about packing. You have yeah. to think about the box dimensions. Right. You have to think about customer service. I mean, I think it's, I think Kickstarter is like the baptism of fire. <laughs> That's for that, sure. 
I think that's why there's still a lot of people that say, you know, it's like it's completely acceptable now to run a Kickstarter two and three times. Right, right. <laughs> and nobody will look at you and say, well, you failed then. It's like, no. <laughs> right. This is this is just me doing it again. This is just me learning what buttons to press and that I should be replying to comments or I, I should have maybe looked at a different shipping model or that picture was in the wrong place or right. I should have put this amount down. So it's a big... And there's so I much think, out there. It's so hard to yeah. cut through. Not Not the noise because it's all... It's not all good, but a lot of it is good. There's a lot of new games and a lot of interesting things happening, but it means that it's harder to get one thing through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, have you found it challenging to kind of get the noise kind of out there? Oh, I don't know. That's, I mean, I'm I'm definitely trying to help promote the game, but that's that's what Jeff is there for. He's, he's, our, he's our guy. He put me in touch with you and has all the review contacts came through him pretty much. I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm doing what I can from my personal accounts, but, um, yeah, as, as I learned during my first Kickstarter, that's, that's hard for me. That's not where my talents lie. So I'm going to let someone else do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think from my sort of un, from my untrained eye, my not a social media professional, uh, opinion it seems like the the game is getting out there Uh, obviously our funding goal is not super high right now but uh it's it's continuing to climb it's climbing a little bit faster the past couple days so uh yeah i've seen i've seen people mentioning it someone tweeted about the game in italian i assume it was complimentary i don't read italian so that was cool (laughs) to see yeah (laughs) it could say hey this looks like netrunner (laughs) (laughs) This is that guy's game who was had a big head about his game design ability. <laughs> cool. But I think it's I mean it is a learning curve. I think um, Absolutely. I think when people are out there kind of putting out a Kickstarter, I don't think or you can put you, you get them few fewer and fewer and far between now when you see somebody that's like I'll tell you what it is. It's like chess. But they're all purple, and then they, <laughs> and then they're like twenty, twenty-seven, twenty-seven thousand dollars, please, kind of thing. And you don't see that happening as much as I don't. That's see true. As much That's as true. happening as much as you ought. People are you learning. See, yeah, you see a lot of people that um, are actually saying, hey "Guys, I I am fifty percent of the way with this game, but I need the rest of this money to kind of put together my art and." you know, put together the rest of the components and, you know, help me finish off the production and stuff yeah, like that. And, and sometimes you're like, you guys are going up against these guys that are just saying, well, here's stretch goal number 72. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's a, that's exactly where we are right now. You know, the Andrew Thompson, the artist, is incredible and his mm-hmm. art looks great. And as soon as Jeff showed me his, his page, his portfolio, before he'd even done anything for this game, we could both envision like, oh, this is going to look so cool. The way he does water is just incredible. Uh, but you know, talent doesn't come cheap, and I'm sure Jeff could have found uh, a hack to come on and draw a picture <laughs> of a whale with a googly eye, but he didn't. But you now have to do that as a stretch goal. <laughs> I'm, I just keep digging myself into holes here. <laughs> you have to do that. Whale, whale with a googly eye. Whale with a googly eye. 
That's an optional buy. That's going on the top ten Can list. you imagine how awesome that would be <laughs> if you just managed to get slightly thicker cards? And then they flipped it over and it went, Ah, it's Moby Dick. That's incredible. The curse of the googly-eyed Moby Dick. Are you telling me you've never seen googly-eyed Jaws? No. Wait, what? Have you never seen... Right, okay. I'm going to Google I, it right I'll now. I'll tell you what. Go and Google it right now. Googly-eyed Jaws. You watch. I'm going to wait and see. This is going to be like a reaction podcast oh, thing. No. Oh no! Waiting. Is this a is this a video? Oh, here it is. Yeah. Oh. It is. <laughs> oh my word! This is incredible. <laughs> oh, yeah. And for everyone else is out there, we're going to put the link to the googly eye Jaws video. Number in the seven. Show notes. Will make you cry because <laughs> you're laughing so hard at googly eye Jaws. Absolutely. Isn't that the best thing you've uh, ever seen? That's incredible. You're going to look to do a presentation for your next paper and have that as a clickable link and then just say, I deserve um, I deserve tenure for that that's piece right. of work. That's, that's right. That'll work. be my, my dissertation defense. <clears throat> Listen, everyone, I could tell you about my deep theory about games, but we could just look at this instead. <laughs> and you are going to look at this long after for the next four hours. Absolutely. You're just going to going to refer back to it and then people are going to say what are you looking at Greg you're going to say come here because you can't just turn around come here I'll send you the link but you've got to click on it and then that'll do and then my work here is done basically it's going to be absolutely fun but you're watching it just now and you're still laughing oh it's so good are you going to seriously everybody stop what you're doing just now park your car put your computer to one side and google Googly eyed Jaws, it will make your day. It's absolutely it's fantastic. Absolutely worth it. See what I mean? You have to put this in as a stretch goal to the game. I will be speaking to Jeff. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I can make no promises about the stretch goals for this game, but Jeff, if you're listening, Richard's got a great idea. You have to have, a, you have, to have Googly eyed Moby Dick. It's going to make the campaign. <laughs> um, as we say, you've got about 12 days to go. That's right. And you, eleven thousand, eleven thousand dollars. And if people want to pick up a copy of Leviathan, how much is it going to cost them, Greg? Yeah, it's a, it's an incredibly affordable nine dollars. Plus, um, I think I'm checking on this right now because, as we've established, I don't care to think about shipping. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's six dollars to ship inside the U.S. So that's. Fifteen dollars for a, a great game with with great art. Honestly, I if I didn't make this game, I would buy it just to get the art because I have that big splash image as my laptop desktop right now. Absolutely, and Absolutely. it makes me so happy every time I open my computer to do classwork. <laughs> um, we'll put the show notes um, in the show notes. We'll put the link to the Kickstarter. Great. If people I'll, if oh. people have listened tonight. Um, and they want to keep an eye on yourself, where do they find you on the internet? Yeah, sure. Let me do my promotional duties and give one more quick thing about the campaign, which is at the next tier up, you can get uh, Jeff's and Past Go's incredible uh, solo war game, Sans Allier, um, Mm -hmm. at a super steep discount. So you can get that as an add-on. Um, someone in the comments just asked us for it, and Jeff was like, sure, I've got some copies sitting around. So that's a it's a limited 
pledge, but I think there's over a hundred of those left to get a really, oh, really go. reduced copy of Sans Allier. Um, anyway, I'm Greg Loring Albright, and you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Greg is on the go. And that's Greg with one G at the end, not two. Okay. Excellent. Well, we'll make sure that goes into the show notes. Um, Listen, um, for people that are wanting to find out where we are, go to Google, search We're Not Wizards. You'll find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts. As we say, we appreciate any kind of contact if you want to speak to us and do that. Um, If you like what you've listened to tonight, please consider subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to go even further and drop us a review remember as we say go to apple podcasts don't give us a 10 because that'll make us big-headed don't give us a one that'll make us cry (laughs) give us a give us a five because it's in the middle and it's average and we are very average but the gentleman that's not been average tonight not at all (laughs) (laughs) all I was going to say I'd give you a 7 because number 7 will make you cry so that's what I would do (laughs) you can do do that anytime you want (laughs) okay Um, but there's only two more things to do the first thing is to say um, is to say thank you very much for coming on absolutely and Uh, thanks so much for having me and remember that we are many things but we're not wizards, are we? Are we wizards, Greg? No, not not at all. I've never made that claim. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from Greg. Say goodbye, Greg. Oh, I, I said it already. I'll say it again. Greg <laughs> say says again. goodbye twice on this episode. Goodbye. <laughs> and remember, number seven will make you cry. That's right. But until the next time. Bye for now. Bye.